Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about the Shades of Pemberley. We are discussing a scene near the end of Pride and Prejudice today. Rumors of a potential relationship between Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy have reached Rosings Park, and Lady Catherine de Bourgh is not okay with that. Big surprise, everybody <laughs> is shocked. So Lady Catherine has traveled to Longbourn and confronts Lizzie with the rumor. Lizzie is understandably deeply annoyed and essentially tells her to back off. None of your business, lady. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure nobody is surprised to learn that Lady Catherine, she has more to say. Yeah. I am amazed that that is the <laughs> case. So here is her follow-up to this. Not so hasty, if you please. I have by no means done. To all the objections I have already urged, I have still another to add. I am no stranger to the particulars of your youngest sister's infamous elopement. I know it all, that the young man's marrying her was a patched-up business at the expense of your father and uncle. And is such a girl to be my nephew's sister? Is her husband, who is the son of his late father's steward, to be his brother? Heaven and earth, of what are you thinking? Are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? At the expense of your father and uncle. <laughs> Looks like you don't know all after all, Lady yeah, Catherine. <laughs> yeah, you might be a little bit out of the loop, friend. Weirdly enough, you actually don't have all the particulars. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, this is quite the scene, right? Yeah. And on the surface of things, this is a really overt statement of Lady Catherine's snobbery and how she perceives class. She clearly doesn't think that Lizzie is good enough to marry Darcy and live at Pemberley. And yet there's a certain amount of ambiguity in the phrase and how she's using it here. So, you know, obviously we're on the case. We are going to sleuth this out. <laughs> yes. So there are two words here that really deserve some extra attention in the phrase. So shades and polluted are both terms that have multiple meanings. By defining them a bit more in context, we can then get a better idea of just exactly how rude Lady Catherine is in this scene. So you know that if we have ambiguous terms, we are going to be turning to our friend, our dear friend, the OED, and get into a bit of etymological nerdery. So, you know, settle in. It's time to party, everyone. <laughs> so first, we're going to start with the term shades. There are a couple of different ways we can define the word, but there are two more obvious options. Shades could refer to the dead or to the literal shade or shadows generated by the woods at Pemberley. So first, in reference to the dead, the use of shade in reference to a ghost or deceased person began in the 1610s and was still in somewhat regular use in the early 1800s. And the origins of this is in, you know, Hades and the shades of the underworld and all of that. 
And if you're thinking of the Disney film Hercules right now, you're on the right track. (laughs) That is a correct image to have in your head right now. (laughs) So in Austin's time, it wasn't as typical to use the word shades in reference to ancestral ghosts, like Mm -hmm. haunting your estate. But it could have been used that way. Mm -hmm. Catherine Moreland would have loved to have used it that way. Absolutely. (laughs) So if we apply this definition of shades to Lady Catherine's statement, it is then potentially referring to all of the ancestors that have built up Pemberley and the Darcy name. The surname Darcy is actually a really old Norman surname coming to England with William the Conqueror. The implication here being that Lady Catherine is evoking all these shades from the Darcy heritage and that they will be turning over in their graves that Lizzie might be the mistress of Pemberley. So that's nice. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's kind Always what you want to hear from your future in-laws, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the slightly more obvious meaning and the word usage that would have been a little more prominent during this era as well would be the actual shade from trees on the Pemberley estate. So we're talking about the Pemberley woods in particular. This is most often what people assume Lady Catherine is referring to. Again, this being the more common usage of the time. Sure. And we do also have a reference to pollution in relation to woods at the end of the novel when the narrator shares Lady Catherine's reaction to Darcy's marriage. So here it is from the text. Lady Catherine was extremely indignant on the marriage of her nephew. And as she gave way to all the genuine frankness of her character in her reply to the letter which announced this arrangement, she sent him language so very abusive especially of Elizabeth, that for some time all intercourse was at an end. But at length, by Elizabeth's persuasion, he was prevailed on to overlook the offense and seek a reconciliation. And after a little further resistance on the part of his aunt, her resentment gave way either to her affection for him or her curiosity to see how his wife conducted herself and she condescended to wait on them at Pemberley, in spite of that pollution which its woods had received, not merely from the presence of such a mistress, but the visits of her uncle and aunt from the city. What a lovely visitor. Yeah. I do have to appreciate that Darcy, like, cuts her aunt for a bit, being like, you cannot say that about my wife. No. But then, yeah, the fact that she, like, doubles down, um, apparently in her own mind, being like, I'll be here, but I don't have to be happy about it. These polluted woods. She's lovely. Wow. So that quote seems to be another point in favor of the word shades, likely referring to woods, since pollution here is used directly in conjunction with the Pemberley woods. Right. And all of this combined with the fact that the woods at Pemberley actually get substantial treatment from Austin means that we're going to give it substantial treatment for the moment. (laughs) So come with us on this journey. Welcome to Pemberley Woods. (laughs) So earlier in the novel, when Lizzie and the gardeners decide to visit Pemberley, Mrs. Gardner explicitly states that the woods are one of the main reasons to visit the estate. If it were merely a fine house, richly furnished, said she, I should not care about it myself. But the grounds are delightful. They have some of the finest woods in the country. Then, as they travel to Pemberley, we get a lot of detail about the landscape. So, again, from the text. Elizabeth, as they drove along, 
watched for the first appearance of Pemberley Woods with some perturbation, and when, at length, they turned in at the lodge, her spirits were in a high flutter. The park was very large and contained great variety of ground. They entered it in one of its lowest points and drove for some time through a beautiful wood stretching over a wide extent. They gradually ascended for half a mile and then found themselves at the top of a considerable eminence where the wood ceased and the eye was instantly caught by Pemberley House, situated on the opposite side of the valley. And then she's like, well, okay, you know, <laughs> kind of rethinking that whole proposal, you know, maybe, you know. <laughs> so we then get some more detail about how there are additional woods and streams as part of this property. This is, by the way, an estate that spans 10 miles. So there is a lot of woods to admire here. And Austin gets downright lyrical in some of these descriptions. So according to Mary Jane Curry's article, not a day went by without a solitary walk. Elizabeth's pastoral world. It states, Austin takes a full page to describe its woods and water, a record length for her. <laughs> we do not usually think of Austin's language as poetic, but here, assonance, the repetition of vowel sounds, reinforces one's impression of sensuous sweeping curves of hills and streams. Swept away by the hills and the streams, just like you are swept away by oh. Darcy. Oh. Although I feel like she actually has some very lovely descriptions in, like, persuasion. Yes, she does. I think her, her descriptions of lime are particularly mm -hmm. lovely. I mean, the way, the way that it's used here, it is almost like an aphrodisiac. Yes. And especially the way that Elizabeth is experiencing it. Yeah, she sees the woods and she's thinking of Darcy, like, at the exact same time. They are connected. There's a reason why Austin's narrator points out that, you know, Lizzie's over here, quote, felt that to be mistress of Pemberley might be something. So, <laughs> you don't say. She's, like, fanning herself. You know, she's like, love a good landscape. Yes. And then later, after the house tour with Mrs. Reynolds, Lizzie and the gardeners go for a walk through some of this landscape, and then meet Mr. Darcy. And it seems pretty clear that we're supposed to be associating the beauty of the landscape and the Pemberley Woods as a metaphor for his capable stewardship of land and tenants. And this is attractive to Lizzie. And also just like, you know, beautiful woods. Beautiful man in the beautiful woods. Yeah. Beautiful landscape, beautiful man emerging from said landscape. Like, yes. okay. Yeah, it's, it's not really subtle. I mean, I appreciate this. I do. And so during the house tour and even back in Lambton, Darcy's attentiveness as a steward of the land and his assistance to the poor is something that is specifically mentioned. Yeah. And according to Curry, these references would have had a big impact on Austin's contemporary readers since 1812 was particularly bad for the poor in England. And enclosures of common land cut off some people's access to some important resources like grazing land, kindling, and even some small game. Hearing that he's such a good landlord is, again, like very culturally relevant, not just to Lizzie, but kind of to a broader audience here. Right. Well, and the trend here for wealthy landowners to make improvements to their estates, and I'm using the air quotes around improvements, was also a big trend, like we see in Mansfield Park. And these improvements 
also had an impact on the way that estate tenants were kind of engaging with the land. So according to Richard Gill and Susan Gregory in their book, Mastering the Novels of Jane Austen, one of the arguments against improvements was that, quote, newly planted woods, as opposed to ancient ones, afforded little firewood for the poor. So when the people in Lambton and Mrs. Reynolds say that Darcy is a good landlord and a friend to the poor, there is an implication that the shades of Pemberley Woods are full of kindling and Darcy is sensitive to the fact that there's going to be those larger demands in the region. Yeah, he doesn't seem like the type to just sort of... Arbitrarily move his woods. <laughs> yeah. <them. laughs> yeah. Or, you know, like recommending turning a house 90 degrees just yes. for the fun of it or whatever. Yeah. So not that we know of a character that would do that. <laughs> and so all of this contributes to Elizabeth's good opinion of Darcy, who she meets while walking through his gorgeous estate. Mm-hmm. And as Curry writes, quote, the language suggests a merging of desires, experiencing natural beauty with forming a relationship with Mr. Darcy. The grounds natural beauty described in all their fertility seem a projection of his masculinity, fertility as ability to reproduce, and his imagination, fertility of mind, as well as his capacity to create himself anew for Elizabeth, fertility as ability to become a new individual. So these are fertile woods in more ways than one. Yeah, lots, lots of fertility. But it, but it is interesting to like kind of think about, we have joked about it a lot that when she sees this estate, she's kind of like, huh, you mm-hmm. know, like, yeah, there is something about like seeing his domain that is very alluring to her. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's well run. It, mm-hmm. you know, everybody is very complimentary to it. So, it, I mean, it shows that he is actually very competent with his lands, with what he's managing. And, you know, it's an appealing thing. So Lady Catherine is most likely not even a little bit impressed with Darcy's philanthropic tendencies or how well he maintains his estate. She's most likely interested in the Pemberley Woods in terms of their vastness, the fact that they're you know, 10 miles round, and their history, that they're old and established. These are really, she, she's only interested in them as markers of wealth and class, because those are the things that mean most to her. And as a result, the ambiguity of the term shades accommodates both wealth and class. The Pemberley Woods and the Darcy forebears are both conjured in this reference. You know, Lady Catherine is not done. She's got more insulting to do. She says the shades of Pemberley will be polluted if Lizzie marries Darcy. And so we're going to unpack that one a little bit as well. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's it's just rude. Full stop. But yeah, there's, there is some ambiguity in this, in this one, too. So the first definition of pollute is to make physically impure, foul, or filthy, and especially in our, in our contemporary moment, to contaminate the air, water, land, etc. So we're, we're familiar with the term in these kinds of ideas of physical pollutants. So this definition doesn't really come into play in terms of literal or physical pollutants in the novel. Instead... Lizzie's physical presence becomes a form of metaphorical pollutant, and the pollutant, according to Lady Catherine, is couched in terms of class. So again, a very lovely thing to be hearing about yourself. Yeah, this is yet again a really overdig at Lizzie's family here. Lady Catherine will concede that Mr. Bennet is a gentleman, but Lizzie's extended family, like the Gardeners and the Phillipses, 
they work for their income. The horror. Yeah. So Lady Catherine, she says, But what was your mother? Who are your uncles and aunts? Do not imagine me ignorant of their condition. Right. And the condition here is just that they work for a living, which in this particular social system is really a big class distinction. One that Lady Catherine obviously cannot get over. So, yeah. So instead, she insults Lizzie's family, her mom, her aunts, her uncles. Everybody. It's lovely. Lady Catherine is also implying that Wickham is a class-related pollutant when she says, Is her husband, who is the son of his late father steward, to be his brother? And the her here is Lydia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and of course, we are not here to defend Wickham's behavior in the novel at all. It's indefensible and predatory, really. However, that's not what Lady Catherine is condemning him for here. She's coming after him because he's a steward's son. Lizzie's not thrilled to be related to Wickham either, since (laughs) she sees and condemns his behavior to both Georgiana and Lydia. But Lizzie is also not here for the class snobbery, since she has already faced down Caroline Bingley, who tries to warn Lizzie off of Wickham without any substance to her accusations. And when that happens, when Caroline is like, "Mm, you know, Wickham, he's not, not so great, Elizabeth says to Caroline, his guilt and his dissent appear by your account to be the same, said Elizabeth angrily, for I have heard you accuse him of nothing worse than of being the son of Mr. Darcy Stewart. And of that, I can assure you, he informed me himself. So, you know, again, like at the end of the novel, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is like, OK, if we want to talk about all the problems with Wickham's character, I'm happy to join you in right. that exercise. Yes. But in terms of it just being based off of his class and what his relations did for a living, she's not here for that. Yeah. So Lady Catherine's jabs at Lizzie's family as inferior class pollutants are deeply insulting, obviously, since there's also that implicit jab at Lizzie's character, again, just because of people earning a living. Well, and I think there's also a little bit like, you will be polluting the shades of Pemberley by bringing children into this world who are of your ilk. So that I think adds an extra level where it's just like deeply insulting. Yeah, it's like, it's like, whatever, you know, whatever your children are, they are also going to be pollutants. Yeah. And yet we're still not done. Oh, yeah. The insults just keep coming. So the second definition of pollute that we want to canvas today is, um, and this is also coming from the OED, is, quote, to make morally impure, to violate the purity and sanctity of something. So, Hmm. you know, this is very much a moral based definition, and it was more popular in the 18th and 19th century than it is now. In this context, then, with Lady Catherine, she's overtly mentioning Lydia's marriage as a moral disgrace right before she uses this term pollute. So she says, is such a girl to be my nephew's sister? So the implication here being that Lydia's moral failings, purely according to the logic of of their time period, is running away with a man and living with him for a time without the benefit of marriage and Therefore, she's irredeemable, even if they have wed. So she's also implying that Lydia's supposed moral failings become faults that her entire family embodies. And then that means that in this moment, Lady Catherine is pointedly asserting that Lizzie is in some way morally impure by association. As a result, 
Lizzie's presence at Pemberley is an, an extension of moral pollution. And again, thinking about you will be having Darcy's children, like yeah. that whole, you, you can just imagine that if this conversation had kept going, she would have gotten into that kind of insult territory. Yes. Just, it would have been really bad. Yes. Are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? Like, okay. Like, like once you hear it with all of those like underlying implications, that is, that is so far beyond okay. Yeah, it is an insult. And it's really no wonder that Lizzie has had it. You know, she yeah. says to Lady Catherine, you can now have nothing further to say, she resentfully answered. You have insulted me in every possible method. And for Lizzie to actually maintain her cool enough to be able to articulate that and then be like, I am leaving. Lady Catherine goes on to kind of try and push further. And Lizzie's like, I'm done. Thanks. Yeah. She puts up the boundary and she's like, no, we're yeah. done. I mean, the scene is also, of course, I think really demonstrating the fact that for all of Lady Catherine's talk of class distinction and whatever, here in this moment, she has no class. Zero class. Yeah. And she's come to Lizzie's home to tell her this. So she's actually physically come to, again, you know, the the small wilderness that they're walking in. It's a bit, kind of a small parallel to this idea of Shades of Pemberley. And so she's physically come to Lizzie's house to insult her, her family, everything. And zero class, absolutely zero class. And, you know, the fact that the fact that, you know, Lady Catherine is like, I'm going to go tell Darcy. Um, and she thinks that that's going to fix things. Little does she know that she's just like, oh, <laughs> Oh, this has taught me to hope. Hmm, okay. Right? Well, and um, when we talk about this in terms of adaptation, it's kind of interesting to see the way that this has been put in the films, too. So the 95 version makes this scene really interesting in terms of, like, it's very stinging. You can kind of see Lizzie getting more and more upset. Like, she's she's witty and she's barbed in her responses, but you can see that by the end she's like, you have insulted me in every single way. No. And it's interesting, too, that the way that the camera is kind of working in the, in the moment when Lady Catherine des- delivers the line about the shades of Pemberley, she's kind of framed by kind of a, a there's like a doorway that she's that, that's behind her. And she actually looks small, even though it's a full body shot. There's a smallness about her physically that the camera encapsulates. And I think that is brilliant framing because you get the idea that this is like, this is her final plea. And she's trying to make this the most impassioned, like, you could not possibly be my nephew's wife. Yeah. And we obviously have to talk about the 2005 version because Lady Catherine arrives in the middle of the night. And so it is <laughs> drama. So much drama. Everyone's in their jammies. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> They're like, is the house on fire? Like, what is going on? Nope, just I'm just coming in the middle of the night to insult you. That's mm-hmm. what's happening. <laughs> what a moment. Love the timing of that one. Mm-hmm. If you have any thoughts on this or other topics, you can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will be talking about the Bertram sisters' puzzles. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye!